Indeed. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Great Quarter Gals. It is Tuesday. I'm Kaylee Nix here with Grace Shark. You ready to get another great episode started? And Grace, I'm really excited about this one from our news content to our guest content. This one is top tier, I think. Yeah, I'm really excited too because we're going to hit on a lot of the stuff that I get to write about when we look at technology and some of the leading companies in that space. And then, of course, uh, VC work. So uh, it's about time that we get to get some venture ca- female venture capitalists on here and uh, talk about exactly what uh, women are looking to invest in in this space. So I'm very excited as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And not only are we talking about female investment in venture capital and partnerships and venture capital partners all over, we're also talking about how accessibility through automation is important in attracting different types of talent, whether that's gender different talent or ability different talent, making workplaces more accessible, making them more attractive to talent too. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation with our guest a little bit later on today. But Grace, before we get there, let's check up. What's What's been going on with you? What have you been writing about? Some exciting things coming out of the fingertips of Grace Sharkey lately. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, I have had to kind of focus a little bit of my attention on a number of our favorite freight tech, if not unicorns over the past year, really tightening their operations, getting ready for the long haul uh, during this recession that I would say we're, we're pretty much... Uh, uh, let's say definition-wise, and at this point, not just a freight recession, but economic one as well. And so for me, it's it's exciting to see who's willing to make these moves the quickest in order to come out the other end a, a little bit stronger. I mean, here's the thing. Like our generation, we saw uh, the recession through our parents' eyes, right? We got to see a lot of their 401ks just slashed in half, a lot, of, a lot more of that, the same struggles, I think, um, people are seeing now in their own financial space. So um, it's interesting being at this age and being able to talk to the companies that are preparing for the future past this negative time period, right? And uh, fortunately, I've been able to talk with a lot of leadership uh, when it comes to Project 44, Baton, even Convoy, right, has, has had their own shrinkage. And um, at the end of the day, I think, a couple of years from now, we'll see who the leaders are who made those bets and who came out on top at the very end. So that's definitely something that we've been keeping an eye on from your perspective of things from the news side. Love to hear that and to know that you got your finger on that pulse. Let's get into our news topic for the day because, of course, this is a great quarter, gals. We talk about female leadership a lot and female leadership making strides in the industry, shattering those glass ceilings. And huge news from Cummins about two weeks ago with Jennifer Rumsey becoming the first female CEO to take over in nearly or over the 100-year-old company, that is. And this is, of course massive in her shattering that glass ceiling, but it raises a good question. She raised a great question in her interview with our very own Alan Adler. How long is it going to be where these headlines are still newsworthy, where the first woman is still newsworthy? She raises a great question and some good points in her interview as well. Yeah. And let's first off, remember, we are only about a hundred years away from uh, our our gender being able to vote, right? And so, like, look how fast we've grown. Look how uh, quickly females have just risen to the literal top in, in this situation. And I, and I like that question. Uh, of course, I, at the moment I saw, I was like, I have to read this. And glad to see that Alan was behind it as well. And she brings up really interesting points in, in the fact that I think the way that uh, not only is she raising her kids, I think a lot of our generation raised their 
their children, their daughters as well. Uh, but just the fact that even a lot of her, she said male counterparts were people that she turned to in order to grow and, and become the first CTO, first president, first operating officer, and then first CEO of the company as well. So um, it really showcases that you might not even, you know, in this, her situation, she, this wasn't a role she was uh, running for, right? But all of the work that she had put in, all of the extra time I'm sure she she put in in order to help get her career to where she is now, led her to be in the perfect candidate for this position. So um, I thought it was really interesting how she went about that. Uh, how about you, Kaylee? What are your thoughts? I know you had a little bit of a, a critique or so possibly in there. I don't even necessarily think that it's a critique. It's definitely not a critique towards Jennifer or Alan at all. More of just kind of the whole concept of women in the industry specifically. And, you know, we do a lot of work here at Great Quarter Gals to highlight the successful accomplishments of women. But it's also very, it's a fine line that we walk between making them seem successful and focusing solely on the fact that they are women doing great things, right? We don't want to necessarily yes. elevate women just because they're women. Like that's that's ancillary. They are, but it's because they're amazing yes. leaders and they are, do, are making great strides in this industry regardless of their gender at all. And so I really, really want to hone in on that point. And I also want to hone in on a, something that Tom Leinbarger said about Jennifer herself. He called her a once-in-a-generation talent. And that's something that I think is a top tier compliment, especially coming from an outgoing CEO and something that is not to be overlooked because Jennifer worked so hard to get to her to where she was. She's got a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT. She has incredible experience under her belt. And it raises a really good point to see her staying at a company now for nearly three decades and putting in the work to grind really hard to break these glass ceilings and move up and see that upward mobility. And so I just want to I just want to tell her congratulations and also I love to see Tom himself giving her those compliments too and saying you know what she's a once in a generation doesn't matter that she happens to be a woman and it it's we're going to get to a point where women shattering glass ceilings isn't noteworthy or newsworthy just because it's happening all the time that's the point where I want us to get to as well You know to kind of make a side point on that too you know sometimes I think uh, these roles might be granted to women to, to maybe like uh, check a box, right? Yep. Um, a lot of times women, I think, are <laughs> they're like groomed almost in a way to take over these roles. And what it was really inspiring about hers is that like she even said like right out, she wasn't ever trying to become CEO. And I think that's a really great point is that she followed her passion, which I think is more on that, that MIT technical side, right? Like being able to be that technical talent. But within that, she developed the, the responsibilities or in the um, capabilities to become the CEO. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of you know, leaders out there, don't don't try to find that one in a million talent and then try to like have them become that position so that the company can look maybe a little bit better in someone's eyes. Let them naturally grow just like you would any any man within within a workplace. Let them let them run with their talents. I think that's really what he was trying to say is like she's she's someone that you can just let free and is going to to really have an impact no more no matter what you do and i think there's a difference between you know trying to to place someone and, and fit a quota than just letting a woman excel in what she's absolutely incredible at doing and having them fall into this role instead of placing them into this role 100%. And Grace, I love that we're ending on that. And I want us to get to our guest. But before we get there, we wouldn't be 
absolutely remiss if we did not finish up that final point by congratulating Shelly Simpson on her natural evolution yeah. into president, the president role at J.P. Hunt. So, Shelly, congratulations if you're watching this. You are an inspiration for that natural evolution of women in the workplace into that eleva yes. elevated leadership position. So, huge congrats to Shelly and the entire team at J.P. Hunt as well. And so, Grace, on that note, let's get into our conversation with our guest today. We're welcoming Aiden Madigan Curtis, who is a partner at Eclipse Ventures, to our show. And we're talking a little bit about, as you mentioned, the venture capital space and the investment space, specifically when it comes to industry automation and how automation makes things accessible and attractive to diverse talent pools. So, Aiden, thank you for joining us today. It is great to have you on the show. And tell us a little bit about yourself and Eclipse Ventures. Sure. Yeah. Hey, it's wonderful to meet you. And I uh, absolutely love the last conversation. Congrats to Jenny. Congrats to Jennifer. It's great to hear. Um, so uh, Eclipse Ventures, we have about $2.7 billion under management. We focus on digital transformation of physical industries. So I feel pretty at home in the conversation here. Uh, we have a wide variety of portfolio companies. We do sort of very, very early stage all the way up through growth stage investing and happy to get a little bit more into some of the companies that we've invested in and, and sort of what they've done in their individual spaces in a little bit. Uh, in terms of me, so um, I spent the last six or so years actually as an executive at a company called Samsara in the industrial IoT space. I was the VP of operations there, um, owning, owning like end-to-end -end operations, everything that sort of went into our cogs as well as support. And I also was a GM there working on industrial uh, safety and using computer vision for safety. Before Samsara, I was um, on the team that launched the very first Apple Watch. So had a fair share of time kind of running around different parts of Asia, helping to bring up factories uh, and some kind of pretty hilarious stories from that experience as well. But we sort of ramped that from zero to a million in parts in a very little amount of time. So all sorts of interesting experiences there too. Well, yeah, you've really uh, led the way when it comes to technology. And I guess over this last year, we've seen such an incredible focus when it comes to investment within freight tech, uh, specifically in automation. A lot of those um, operations, back office pieces that just take up so much time and so much overhead. Uh, for you, what has been the most interesting uh, investments within the space in regards to automation and what what different technologies have really captivated you over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's a it's been so interesting. Um, I think one of the biggest changes that we've seen is actually the extent to which every single person has been really affected by supply chain and supply chain disruption these last few years. Um, there was sort of not one individual who didn't have something lost in backlog uh, in an Amazon order or, um, you know, kind of lived through that COVID disruption. I think we've also seen just an unprecedented amount of disruption in supply chain. You've got climate change, you've got geopolitical issues going on. So it's been a time where these issues have been really front and center for everyone. I think what that's really done is sort of pushed the space. So, you know, we went from a, a world where everyone was able to go to, a, go to a store, pick up what they needed, to a world where we really had to rely on new technologies, enabling faster deliveries, faster manufacturing um, to, to service our needs. So I think some of the key, uh, you know, 
things we've seen happen in the space that are really interesting are, first of all, within warehouse automation. Uh, I, I love actually kind of even going back several years, some of those really strategic investments by Amazon and Kiva or Shopify and Six River, you know, those led, um, really led the way for a lot of the warehousing space to become much more faster, much more efficient, and allowed for an ecosystem to get built on top of them. For example, like an Appian doing low-code, no-code to enable uh, the workplace, uh, the workers actually within a warehouse to better interact with the robotics uh, that are helping the warehouse work more efficiently. We've seen similar things in transportation with the advent of, like, for example, Samsara um, in manufacturing with stuff like software-defined uh, manufacturing, like with Bright Machines, which is one of our portfolio companies. And even with workplace safety, um, there's another portfolio company that, that we work with called Voxel, which is all about using computer vision to create kind of a safer, more efficient workplace. So I think we've seen a lot of change, um, especially in this space, and it's come from a very tangible set of experiences that everyone's had all together these past few years. That safer and that more efficient workspace is something that automation is absolutely key in promoting across really all industries, but specifically across physical industries. And we live in a world right now where companies are taking a hard look at their ESG goals, specifically at that S and the societal and the social goals that they are um, setting forth. And that includes opening up positions to people of all different abilities, all different backgrounds, all different education levels. And automation can be absolutely essential into making that workplace more accessible for folks who maybe have a different physical ability or who don't have the same technical background as before. Can you talk about how companies now see automation and investing in automation as a key step in hitting some of those ESG goals when it comes to building a diverse, accessible workplace or workforce? Yeah, I love this question. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a sort of five foot three, hundred pound person. And uh, it's actually amazing <laughs> to me to watch. You know, I used to do a lot of um, site visits when I was at Samsara. We were super close to our customers, kind of with them all the time. And I was very acutely aware of how kind of very small I was relative to the size and the scope and the hazards uh, in those types of operating environments. And it's really neat to see a company, for example, like a Bright Machines, where some of the types of um, manual steps that could be handled by historically only a very large person, you know, may actually be able to be handled by someone like me sitting behind a set of controls, actually maneuvering a manufacturing line, or even just writing a code uh, to have that code operate a manufacturing line. Um, so it's really neat to see kind of how far we can push the boundaries. And the other thing I would say is, um, I love that it's opening up the opportunity for people to think about upskilling themselves. So, you know, I think about kind of how I may have interacted in a manufacturing line historically, I love the notion of um, being able to push myself to say, I'm going to go actually learn how to work in a no-code, low-code environment to actually run something like a manufacturing line versus having to do everything physically myself. Um, so I'm also really uh, optimistic about how it's encouraging people to continue to push themselves uh, as they interact with these physical industries. That's really amazing. And I guess, uh, how do you see five, even 10, 15 years from now down the road, how do you see the physical industry space looking over time? What changes do you see uh, occurring that you might be investing in as well over the next 10 or so years? Totally. Um, I guess first of what I would say is I think that even though we've experienced a lot of disruption these last few years, these changes are going to be evolutionary, not, you know, sort of overnight revolutionary. It turns out that generally speaking, as technology gets adopted, there are ecosystem effects. So you think about, I mentioned earlier, you know, the adoption of like Akiva or, or Six Rivers at, um, you know, sort of major warehousing or shippers. 
eventually people trying to interact with those robots realize they need, you know, I mentioned the low code, no code environment. They need better tools to kind of enable more of their workforce to interact with the benefits that technology can bring. Um, You think about something like the transportation landscape. um, And I think about my experience with that Samsara, you know, starting out with telematics, that was just uh, the very tip of the iceberg. You know, our customers were then asking us to do electronic bill of lading. They were asking for dash cameras. So you kind of see the opportunity to fan out once you really get a foothold in and as these physical industries begin to transform. So I think that's how it's going to happen. I think that it will be um, an evolutionary process, but I actually think it's very top of mind for everybody right now. I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's never been more apparent how ripe these industries are for um, for the style of evolution. And we're super excited to, to be a part of it with the companies that we've invested in and are helping to grow along the way. With the automation kind of excitement, I guess I would call it that it kind of permeates the entire industry right now. There's also some hesitancy as there is with all change. And there's some roadblocks laying in place as well. What would you say are some of those systemic things that are happening in the industry that are both very encouraging for automation investing? And but there are also some systemic roadblocks that are maybe holding it back a little bit from where it could be? Sure. I think... Um, to talk first about some of the tailwinds, uh, we have a real um, national priority right now to bring, for example, a significant amount of manufacturing and supply chain diversification back to either kind of onshore or nearshore. When you think about how everything from active pharmaceutical ingredients to um, fertilizers and different food products get have got, gotten created, um, people talk a lot about the, you know, computer or cell phone examples, but it's really actually everything that we've um, looked to the rest of the world to help us build, manufacture, ship, and deliver over these last couple of decades. Um, And I think that it's actually, we're living sort of through a very fascinating time where we're, where companies and company leadership are really actually much more able to weigh the risks of having, you know, either single sourced or um, very sort of brittle one-way supply chain. So I think we're seeing a a major tailwind in decision makers being able to really weigh the benefits of, you know, perhaps a a CapEx decision that may have historically been considered too expensive. Um, I think now people are beginning to say, okay, I know how much cash I had to take off my balance sheet to go shore up a ton of component supply, you know, many countries away to make sure that I got that supply. Um, you know, is there a way that they can be doing that differently here? Or, you know, they, they know the feeling of lost revenues by not having inventories available when customers wanted to buy. So decisions are getting a lot more rational. And I think um, in, in, in many respects and across many of these physical industries, much more of, um, you know, there's been sort of much more of a focus and an effort on how you get that supply chain diversification here. So I think that's the tailwind. I think, um, you know, as a function of that, some of the some of the barriers that we're facing are talent. Uh, I think we need absolutely more people and we need sort of people skilled in the right direction to serve these physical industries. I think we have something like 2 million manufacturing jobs that are going unfilled today. And uh, I think what I'm most excited about too is not only kind of bringing technology to play to help make these operations more efficient, but also the criticality of these industries being very front and center. Hopefully they're via, you mentioned sort of diversity of people, like attracting a more diverse set of talent that can actually access um, the ability to participate in these physical industries through these types of technologies. 
I think that's an incredible point, especially, I mean, you look at the jobs needed for uh, integrations between systems, the jobs needed for automation, exactly. the jobs needed for autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, just like list every new technology. Every single one needs that talent, that diverse talent behind it. And I guess from your perspective, doing your job and seeing all these changes and focus on technology uh, over the last couple of years, have has your job changed in any way to make sure that that uh, eclipse or even your own personal goals of reaching that diversity is met? Such a great question. And as you're talking about all of the ways in which people can participate in these physical industries, I also thought about throwing in cybersecurity. Uh, you know, for example, I think some of these critical infrastructure um some of our critical infrastructure is actually the most at risk. And I think we've seen the most under attack. So cybersecurity is in there too. And those, those roles can really be done by, um, you know, skilled workers from any background and from any place. Uh, so that's a good one too. In terms of the nature of my, of my job, um, something you were talking about earlier in the segment really resonated with me. And I think about the progress that I made personally at Apple or at Samsara or, or even at Eclipse here, um, for me, it was always about just being focused on delivering, delivering results. And um, I have a ton of energy and I've always loved uh, just sort of really staying laser focused on the goals of the company. And as a function of that was um, that and maybe a few sleepless nights and some broken nails and stuff along the way, um, was able <laughs> to also <laughs> rise up uh, as a leader. And I think that I think that what I love about um, the way these industries are shifting is it, it is exactly that. It's technology is really enabling um, people of all types of backgrounds, as long as they are kind of really focused on delivering results, whether it's Jennifer um, or, you know, me as thankful to those companies I've gotten the chance to work with. There really are fewer barriers, I think, and I hope than there ever have been. Um, and I also think it's great to kind of get out there and talk about it and say, you know, if you focus and if you push yourself um, and if you stay really laser focused on what your company is trying to achieve, um, it's hard to say no uh, to progress in, in that respect. And that's exactly one what we hope to do with a platform like this is to show that those barriers are decreasing in number and really decreasing in size too for barriers to entry. And so with that, Adam, we've got about three-ish minutes left in our show today. What would you say to women who are looking to build something different in supply chain and get into supply chain, whether from a resiliency standpoint or from, they ha you know what, they have a great idea and they want to make it work. And then how also do you encourage them to be passionate about it just as you are? We can, we can, I could really feel the passion just through the TV screen right now, which is exciting to see. But what would you say to women looking to build something different in the supply chain space? And then how do you encourage them to not just sit on their passion, but to make it known and to put it out there? Yeah, I love this question. So thank you for asking it. Um, you know, first and foremost, I would say there are so many problems to solve. So welcome to the club. Get on in. I can't wait for you to get here. Um, and then I would, you know, just want to share a little bit about some of the most um, successful founders, I, I think, that we've seen and that we've worked with and, you know, either here at Eclipse or, or observed, you know, so many great founders to observe as well um, in, in many companies across these spaces. And so, you know, first and foremost, I would say, uh, you've got to you've got to really understand what problem um, you're looking to solve and make sure that I know that sounds kind of really obvious, but actually it's way harder than you think. So often, um, you know, people will come up with a great 
a great solution or a great technology and go looking for the problem. Um, the most successful founders I've ever met are those that really understand a key pain point within one of these industries and wants to pull together just a world-class team to go um, you know, develop kind of the smartest solution to that very specific pain point. And when you do that, you realize you've got um, a very willing, ready set of buyers because you're solving, you know, a VP of operations key pain when I think about you know, dots on a map for fleet telematics, or um, you're solving a fleet manager's problem if uh, she or he or they want to know, um, you know, the safety scoring of their drivers on the road. So you, you really have to be out there solving a key pain point. And um, the most authentic founders, I think, are the ones who know that space really well and are able to just wrap around them uh, a, a killer team that complements them, I think another thing uh, you know, the best founders do is realize that nobody is perfect. And so you want to kind of really be super self-aware, know where you absolutely shine. Uh, the best founders we meet all have superpowers of some type or another, but no one with that style of superpower is great at everything. So go find the next couple of people who are really going to make that A-plus a team and then go get after it. Love that. Uh, incredibly uh, empowering. And uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think that you've given some really incredible advice, uh, especially for you know, being in VC. We don't get a lot of uh, moments to talk to women within that field. So it's just a really good chance for our audience, I think, to learn from you as well. Thanks. I appreciate it very much. Great chance to chat with everybody here and hopefully we'll get to do it again. It's been awesome to chat with you guys. Absolutely, Aiden. Thank you so much for joining us today and go give her a connection on LinkedIn. I've been following your LinkedIn for a while now and it's a great place to get some of that information and find them at Eclipse Ventures also. Grace, ah, I love this episode. Every single piece about it spoke to my heart. Amazing. A plus job for both of us and for, and for Jennifer Rumsey and for Aiden and for Shelly Simpson too. <laughs> Yes. No, really, really incredible episode. Uh, she's, I'd love to see her speak at a Freightways event, but she's really incredible. And uh, yeah, love doing the show with you, Kaylee. Always a good day on Tuesdays. Always a good day. <laughs> we'll see you guys next Tuesday. One, two, three.